Welcome to HBW Insights Over the Counter podcast. I'm David Ridley, HBW's EU Senior Editor, and I'll be hosting this and other Over the Counter podcasts. You'll also hear my colleague Hannah Daniel hosting some of the episodes. Hannah has recently joined HBW as a health and wellness reporter and we're looking at the hottest issues in consumer health from a US perspective. Together, we will be speaking to industry experts and insiders about what's going on in the global health, beauty and wellness market from an industry point of view. In this episode, I'm talking to Mihai Enseo about the challenges of innovating in Europe's thriving food supplements market. Senior Regulatory Affairs Officer at Jensen R+. Mihai highlights some of the issues companies face in putting new wellness products onto the European market, particularly if they want to make health claims for herbal ingredients, also known as botanicals. As well as giving good advice about how to avoid getting into trouble with regulators, Mihai also points to some of the latest trends in this dynamic consumer healthcare space. Hi, Mihai. Thanks for coming on Over the Counter. Um, how are you? I'm, I'm really good, David. Thank you. I'm actually by the seaside, so I'm enjoying every second, whether it's work time or especially afternoons. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm great and I'm quite excited uh, for our chat this afternoon. So thanks for having me. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming. Do you want to just uh, introduce yourself and, um, and your background? Uh, in the area of food supplements and and what you're doing now at the moment for work? Sure, that's actually, it's quite, well, for me, it was quite an interesting uh, road from where I started and where I am now. Um, I'm actually an environmental engineering graduate, uh, so it was a bit unlikely in the beginning for me to end up in the food industry. Uh, But even during my university days, I did some work with the analytical department with one of my teachers uh, and they had some interesting projects on uh, food quality and herbal extracts, you know, extraction techniques, antioxidant activities. So I kind of like touched a bit since then and it was like, oh, this is this feels like a hobby. So it would be great if in the future I could do it. And I never really pursued my career in environmental engineering. I went into the pharmaceutical industry um, and then in 2015 I moved to London and I was really lucky to get uh, into a natural healthcare company and that was in 2016. Initially in more technical roles so this allowed me to build some technical knowledge um, around uh, herbal medicines and food supplements and then eventually in 2020 Uh, I took the step in regulatory affairs, so it was just in time for the Brexit complications. So right in the deep end from the beginning, uh, I had to like really step it up and uh, just build knowledge uh, in this field. And in uh, uh, May this year, I joined Jensen R Plus as a senior regulatory officer helping to build their food supplement and borderlines division. So uh, I work now as a consultant. Jensen R Plus is a technical consultancy. We cover everything in the pharmaceutical industry, 
so medicines, registrations, pharmacovigilance, quality aspects, medical devices, and more recently with my hire, food supplements, cosmetics, and what we call borderline products. Uh, so I've been doing that for the last couple of months. Uh, it's been an exciting role. And uh, what we actually have that's really great at Jensen is a wider regulatory network uh, called Regulanet. And this allows us when we don't have like in-house knowledge, we have contacts all over the world and we are able to cover 90 countries from an expertise point of view. So I'm, I'm always learning even in territories where I don't actually have experience just yet. That sounds great. Yeah, we uh, we worked with Jensen a few times in the past. So um, so basically, uh, for example, a, a company might come to you and say, uh, we're interested in launching a product with uh, uh, X ingredient, herbal ingredient, for example, um, and you would you would advise them as to how to go through that regulatory process for a particular market then? Yes, absolutely. So we get a lot of inquiries like that. Uh, sometimes companies approach us with an idea of the product from an ingredient point of view. Sometimes their only idea of the product is the message they want to put out there. So we have to help them identify appropriate ingredients. Uh, and then, you know, from a market point of view, again, uh, it's different how you're going to sell the same product in the US, Europe, uh, in, in like the EU, or if you want to go in Asia, Australia. Uh, so we get various types of inquiries from companies uh, in all sorts of states of development, uh, sometimes with the beginning, sometimes with no idea at all. So we have to actually help them from a concept uh, stage. So let's talk a little bit more about herbals um, or botanicals as they're called in some countries in food supplements so why don't we just start with the basics uh, because you know people listening might not know much about this uh, these kinds of ingredients and they are quite complicated and then also if you can just say in quite general terms how they're regulated in the European Union uh, that would be great yeah so uh, with the term herbal or botanical uh, you can refer to a finished product or you can refer to the ingredient. So from an ingredient point of view, uh, there they, they could be food ingredients, they could be pharmaceutical ingredients, uh, and they come in various formats. So you can have extracts of a certain plant, or you can have powdered formats, uh, for example. From a finished product point of view, when you refer to herbals, they could be a wide spectrum of categories. Um, this will depend on the way you want to present the product. It can also depend on how a certain ingredient is regulated. So you have products that are in the medicinal category uh, and they would fall under medicinal legislation, whether it's on an EU level or individually in countries. Um, then you would have them in the food spectrum of products. So they can go from normal foods. Uh, they can be used in fortified foods, even if legally you don't really fortify a food with a herbal ingredient, so you'd fortify with vitamins, minerals. But what we see is a trend of companies adding herbals as a side ingredient for, you know, marketing point of view and a, like a unique selling point of view. Uh, they're very popular in food supplements, uh, whether they're standalone 
herbal supplements or in combination with well-known vitamins and minerals. Uh, and again, the reason why we can touch on that uh, maybe later in the podcast, uh, they could also be cosmetics. So obviously that's completely different format, but topical products, for example, or aromatherapy, uh, you, you usually refer to them as herbals. They can be medicinal topical products, so bordering cosmetics and medicines. So it's really a wide, uh, wide range of products and the way they're regulated in the EU, sometimes there's clear legislation and um, mostly the clear legislation comes when they fall in medicinal categories. Uh, so you would see countries that have national rulings on various herbal ingredients where pharmacological effect is established uh, at a certain dosage. So from there upwards, you might have uh, various registration routes, so traditional herbal remedy, or they could be homeopathic products if that's the nature of the product. Uh, when it comes to foods, though, uh, it's not that easy. So the legislation is a bit vague. Uh, there isn't much harmonization at an EU level. It's really left to individual member states how they view herbals, how they view claims around herbals. Uh, and you get various countries which have what they're called positive or negative lists of herbal in botanical or herbal ingredients. So you could have an ingredient that's completely banned in a country and allowed in 20 others. Um, or you could have a system where there's a positive list of herbals with associated claims maybe and a country is very receptive to those ingredients being used in supplements. So it sounds like, uh, say, if you're a European, um, you know, if you market uh, food supplements in multiple markets in Europe uh, as a manufacturer, that can be a little bit complicated. Unfortunately, that is the case. And you wouldn't really expect that in an EU space where, you know, the whole point of the European Union is to create a level playing field and you approach the union as one entity, like you would approach one country and you'd build you know, your marketing strategy and you'd expect, apart from uh, translating the label and messaging, obviously, in local languages, to follow the same route of how you could market the product. Unfortunately, it's not the case, especially for herbal ingredients. So companies manufacturing such products really have to be careful how they approach their products, how they present them. And uh, there's a lot of research that goes into finding the best legal route to place them on the market. And obviously, uh, you know, getting good advice from people like you helps as well. <laughs> it, it helps. Good advice is something we always try to do. Uh, sometimes it's really difficult to give advice in general. Uh, a lot of times is legislation interpretation and how you would feel most confident that you're not going to be challenged on the justification of your product existing in the first place. So we've talked about in general um, what herbals are, but maybe it'd be good to talk about some specific examples. Um, and maybe it'd be good if you could give us some insight as to what are the trending herbal ingredients, you know, what are what ingredients are currently popular with consumers or, you know, with manufacturers looking to innovate in this space. Yeah, so I think from a point of view, as I was explaining earlier with the 
various ingredients being legislated differently. One, one good example that we can look at is ginkgo biloba. Uh, and a very good country to assess would be Ireland. So in Ireland, an ingredient like ginkgo biloba has an established pharmacological effect. Uh, there's a ruling at the national level. There's an expectation that the ingredient is legislated by their medicinal law. And uh, if you look through their database of licenses issued uh, for traditional herbal remedies, there's actually one license issued for a product at 120 milligrams ginkgo biloba dosage uh, for uh, like poor blood circulation. So if you're looking to market the food supplement containing ginkgo biloba in Ireland, you will have no chance to do it at over 120 per dosage of your food supplement. So that's where you look and that's where you have to look at different national uh, legislations and how you adapt your formulation. So you would go way below if you want your product to go on the market as a food supplement. And obviously the presentation of it would be completely different and claims that you can make and claims you cannot make. Um, when it comes to trends, there's, I would say there's two, especially in food supplements, if we stick with food supplements on this one, there's two ways that trends are created. So I would say one of the trends is uh, like a consumer problem trend. When I talk about consumer problem trends, those were really influenced by the last two years of the pandemic. And it's basically the problems that were created by the general feeling that was in the world. Uh, so you would see a high increase in products aimed at immune support or immunity system support. And then obviously people will start having sleep issues and stress and anxiety related issues. So products aimed at those problems or alluding to the fact that they could support uh, consumers with those problems that uh, uh, they generally got a big boom in uh, in sales in the last two years. So when it comes to ingredients that are uh, generally used in these products alongside uh, your vitamins and minerals that you would expect to find in food supplements from a herbal point of view, for example, in uh, immune support products, I wouldn't be surprised if you'd find ginger and garlic in most of them. Uh, sometimes food supplements sold as standalone ginger and you know garlic powder supplements. Uh, and these are used based on like self-education of the consumers. Uh, then when it comes to sleep quality, you have the classics. So chamomile, lavender and newest ones like passion flower, but especially what I think is one of the star ingredients in the last two years, which is ashwagandha or winter cherry. And this was a well-known um, Ayurvedic medicine. So it's one of those ingredients that have been brought to Europe uh, from the Asian region, which is not surprising and it's not something that's uncommon these days. Uh, and then obviously you have the stress and anxiety related products. So uh, apart from B vitamins, maybe that you would find in a lot of them, uh, from a herbal point of view, you'd see lemon balm a lot, uh, ginseng, ginkgo biloba uh, where possible. But then there's a different kind of trend that's created, which I would call it ingredient-based trend. And this is not necessarily through products that are being sold and companies running marketing campaigns for the specific product. It's more like a, 
like an internet vibe that's being created around an ingredient. Uh, so through bloggers, through just people talking about it, or uh, sometimes related to products and campaigns, it's, there's just a buzz created around an ingredient. And that's when companies start to take advantage of that and put out their supplements containing that ingredient. So even if you have a legislation that's complicated to make claims, consumers educate themselves by reading information on the internet, sometimes scientific, sometimes less scientific, unfortunately. Uh, but companies will take advantage of that and they will create supplements using those ingredients. And that's what I would say it's a, you know, it's a it's an ingredient related trend. So maybe something like uh, CBD, does that fall into that kind of category? Absolutely. CBD is definitely an ingredient related trend because it, it, it didn't start like, oh, we have a problem of uh, anxiety and use CBD. It just became CBD standalone. It just became a big thing. And then as CBD grow, uh, grew as an ingredient, the claims that were made, whether it was correctly or not, whether it was legal or not to make claims around CBD, the claims starting being added to the ingredient rather than, you know, the problem came first and this is the ingredient that can solve it. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Over the Counter so far. Don't forget to follow Pharma Intelligence Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify and TuneIn. Also, check out HBW Insight at hbw.pharmaintelligence.informa.com for all the latest health, beauty and wellness news and intelligence. Keep listening. This episode continues now. Moving back to to botanical um, innovation, but specifically uh, around health claims. So you mentioned this when you were talking about regulation. So there seems to be a bit of an issue uh, with with health claims for these ingredients. And as you've mentioned, a lot of them have a kind of established um, medicinal um, application with you know the, some traditional uh, evidence, you know, based on on safe use, etc. Um, but but this seems to become problematic when you move into uh, foods um, and food supplements. Could you just um, explain what's going on there? Yeah, so health claims, first of all, health claims are very different from medicinal claims. So health claims, you can use them on food products and uh, health claims will never be tied to the fact that the product or ingredient would cure or prevent a disease. It's uh, more around supporting normal functions, uh, like normal physiological or uh, emotional functions. Um, and they're really regulated by uh, the European Food uh, Safety Agency. And uh, the problem with health claims is the data that's required to submit in order to get the health claim authorized is really high end for companies that operate in the herbal supplement uh, territory. So we have a, there's a database with authorized health claims and mostly is vitamins and minerals. Uh, but even those out of the thousands that were submitted, there's only about over 300 that have been authorized and almost none of them are around herbals. So 
because there wasn't really a system in Europe to assess uh, health claims related to herbal ingredients, what happened is uh, the European Commission placed them on a so-called on-hold list. Uh, but the use of them don't really have a legal standing. So this is another situation where the legislation isn't harmonized at the EU level, and it's up to individual states how they see the on-hold claims and how they accept them to be used. And uh, that, that's how it gets complicated for manufacturers as well, because there's always a risk, even, uh, even in countries where, uh, you know, the position of the authorities would be on all claims can be used if you hold uh, appropriate supporting data. Even that supporting data is quite vague, what would be appropriate. So it's always going to be a risk-based decision for companies whether they want to use uh, those claims on the on-hold list or not. And what's the situation right now? Is there is is there any developments? Um, you know, are, are is there any kind of indication that, um, that these health claims might be moving forward? Because I think they've just been, like it says, they're on hold. So that implies that, you know, something's going to happen with them. Uh, to my uh, knowledge, no, unfortunately. And the situation has been like this for many years. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure I have this correctly, but it's pre-2015. And uh, they don't seem to be on the European, European Commission's uh, priority list. Uh, they do acknowledge that it's not an acceptable situation and they acknowledge that it has to be addressed. However, it's not being addressed at the moment. And what's really sad is that as long as those claims stay on an on-hold list and we're in this like status quo situation, things will not move fast. But I believe the more claims would be submitted and rejected, due to this inappropriate system, I would say, to evaluate them. I think that's uh, how authorities will see a growing need to start legislating them appropriately and putting in a, a system in place. Yeah, excellent. I mean, we've covered this a little bit in um, HPW Insight, and I think the last thing that we, um, we covered was um, a communication that said basically yeah, it's not a priority. I mean, I suppose you can maybe understand that given uh, everything that's been going on the last couple of years, but it makes it very difficult for uh, for companies um, trying to, you know, market these kind of products, doesn't it? It, it does, and it's uh, it's very unfortunate and unfair, and not only to the companies but to the consumers as well, because consumers they would like to get appropriate messaging on products. They would like to see a more precise. Uh, message or indication what the product is and we shouldn't really rely on consumers reading all kinds of blog posts and making their own assessment what the product is for. So if you come up with an appropriate system that you can make claims around these products, they don't have to be, you know, not everyone wants to make very strong claims that there could be a system where traditional use claims are accepted on food supplements, whereas traditional use claims right now you only get them if you go through medicinal registrations for uh, THRs. Uh, so I think systems like that for food supplements would would help a lot as well. Yeah, that sounds sensible to me. So, um, so is there any kind of hope, uh, given that there doesn't seem to be any movement on this issue, um, 
for the future? What is there anything you can see uh, coming down the line as in terms of alternatives? Well, there, there's always hope, and companies, you know, they they they've put together smart ideas of how to manage the situation and how they're marketing products. And uh, from an innovation point of view, there's hope uh, in this space of smart marketing, really, uh, but not scientific-based evidence for herbal uh, ingredients because it, it makes it difficult for any company to start investing in something that there's no clear image of how they're going to get it in the end, like you would with a normal medicine. If if you really believe that you can achieve something, you have a regulatory framework to to follow and get the registration at the end for what you wanted to develop the product for. Um, whereas with herbal supplements, the investment is a risk and there's really there's no indication that you're going to get to a final result. So, or you could just come up with an with an ingredient or a product, and you won't be able to actually say anything about it. So, it's all about buzz created around ingredients. I think that is the hope, and this is how it's going to stay for now. Uh, however, uh, the European Health Product Manufacturers Association, they, they've put together a, quite an amazing proposal for the European Commission on how uh, claims for herbals could be assessed and uh, legislated in the future. So their, their system is based on a tiered uh, evaluation process and you would get a certain, let's say, strength of claim based on the supporting data that you have. So you'd have a grade A uh, claim where you have scientifically established conclusive evidence uh, based on human trials. Um, and then you could make claims like, I don't know, for example, cranberry contributes to a healthy urinary system. Then you could have a grade B type of claim where you have well-supported claims uh, through convergent scientific studies or pertinent human trials or based on biological plausibility where you could make claims like cranberry can contribute to a healthy uh, urinary system or could contribute to. And then you would have a grade C uh, health claim, let's say, which is based on traditional use. So where you have a history of use for and this would go very similar to the traditional herbal remedies, a tradition of use for 25 years applied in a modern era or based on scientific plausibility where you can make claims like cranberry is traditionally used uh, for a healthy urinary system. So I, I think there is hope that something like that would happen in the future. It makes perfect sense. Um, and uh, the EHMP has a history of working closely with the European Commission, so hopefully uh, they they can push this through at some point. That sounds like a very sensible uh, proposal. Let's hope that the European Commission um, is willing to listen to that. So, just in terms of um, things to watch out for, then what what do you think um, are the ingredients uh, that we should keep an eye out for? Um. I could give some specific examples, but I think what should keep an eye out for is ingredients we don't know about. There's more trends of bringing ingredients, especially from the Asian region uh, into Europe. 
and the other way around as well, uh, because the market is currently oversaturated with what we have here already and what is established and consumers, they always look for the new thing. So what we actually keep an eye out for is probably something that we don't really know about just yet. And it's going to grow again through marketing buzz around that ingredient is going to go through a growth through, uh, you know, internet, uh, internet buzz around the ingredient. Great. Okay. Well, thank you very much for all of your insight. I think that's a really interesting overview. Um, and I think our, our listeners will appreciate, you know, a little bit of, um, of that guidance as to how to navigate this complicated uh, market. So thank you, Mihai, for coming on over the counter. No, thank you for having me, David. And, uh, you know, I hope that was helpful uh, for whoever is listening, whether they're involved in the industry or they want to get involved in the future or whether they want to become a regulatory uh, professional. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Over the Counter. Listen out for more episodes every two weeks and check out the further reading section of the article published on hbw.farmerintelligence.informer.com for related news and intelligence. And don't forget to follow, share and comment on Farmer Intelligence Podcasts on the platform of your choice. See you next time.